That song really embodies what I want to talk on this morning. If you hear the words of that song and really take them seriously, it uh, causes something of a Capernaum revolution in your American psyche, in my American psyche. Because if there's anything that's at the kernel, at the core of the American psyche, it's the idea that uh, mine is mine and not yours. My time is mine and not yours. My money is mine and not yours. My house is mine and not yours. Mine, 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 mine. And this idea that I will abandon it all for the sake of the call. That if Christ is Lord of my life, he's the Lord of the minds. That's very confrontational. It challenges us at the core of what we Americans are all about. This message, I think, challenges us at the core of what us Americans are all about. Um, it challenges me. I tell you, th- th- this, I want to tell you this. I, I, I love preaching for you folks. I have the time of my life. I enjoy this. I get off on this. This floats my boat. I, I get, I just love this. I don't know if you can tell that or not. And do I look like I'm being tortured when I'm up here? But uh, I enjoy this. And I love getting into the Word each week and preparing something that I want to give you. It comes alive to me. When you're doing your niche, there's a, there's a life to it. Whatever that niche may be, whether it's serving coffee or whatever. And, and this is my niche, and I love it. I, I love to get into it. And, and, and it comes alive to me. When I'm not preaching, I've got, I, 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 have, I get frustrated with the Word. It doesn't have as much mm, to me. But when I get to, you know, when I'm, when I'm preparing to share something, it comes alive. And this week, this message really came alive to me. It really confronted me. And I want to share it with you. It's a confrontational message, I believe, one that we've kind of heard before, but it's got a new twist on it for me. I want to pray that the Lord uh, will, will help me to say it straight and say it in a, in a graceful manner. Know that, however it comes out, it's meant in a graceful manner. The, the passage that we're uh, talking about is in Ephesians chapter 4, as you might have guessed if you've been here for more than two weeks. Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 3 through 6 in the NIV version. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. And I'm going to concentrate on chapter 3. I don't know if I'm going to get through this whole thing today, but we'll see how the Lord leads. Paul says this, Make every effort, make every effort to keep, <coughs> to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, and there is one spirit. Praise God. Just as you were called to the one hope when you were called. There's the calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the way that you have used this to challenge me in my life, my thinking, my lifestyle. And I pray, God, that you would be able, Lord, that you would just land on this, this speaking that I could, Lord, convey the passion of my heart about this, Lord God, and that you would stretch us, challenge us, confront us, break strongholds that are almost indiscernible, Lord, because they are such a part of our culture. They're strongholds nonetheless. And do it, Lord God, to make your body the body it's supposed to be, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We've been talking about living the worthy walk the last three weeks. Uh, the, the, the worthy walk, uh, that's the whole theme of uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And what we've seen is that the worthy walk is not about accruing worth, or achieving worth, or getting worth to yourself, trying to prove to the Lord that you're worthy. 
All you are before the Lord, all you ever shall be before the Lord, you are, by God's grace, because of the cross, the moment you put your trust in Jesus. You can't improve upon that. The worthy walk, we saw that the word worthy means to balance out, to have equilibrium, to, have a, to, to correspond, to balance in the scales. And so what Paul is getting at when he says live worthy according to your calling is this. Live in such a way that the reality of who you are in Christ is manifested in your life. There's a corresponding attitude, corresponding behaviors that reflect the truth of who you are. Your calling in life is to do that. We live the worthy walk when, in fact, our attitudes and our behavior and everything about us publicly corresponds to the reality of who we are, the way we think, the way we feel, etc., etc., etc. Paul's still talking about the worthy walk in these passages. He hasn't changed topics. But there's an interesting transition that takes place here, and I want you to catch it because it's really, uh, it's really exciting to me. Paul says that we're to walk humbly because all that we are is a matter of grace. And we are to live meekly because we have the meekness of Jesus within us, and, and, and so we are not to be rageful. And we are to live patiently, which means giving each other space to grow and giving each other space to screw up, even when it inconveniences us. And then he says, bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. And it's as though that thought, that's part of the worthy walk. If you're going to manifest who you really are in Christ, you have to bear with one another in love. And then all of a sudden, Paul's thought changes. Up to this point, he's been talking about the individual, the individual worthy walk. But all of a sudden, he's talking about the body of Christ and the worthy walk of the body of Christ. He's still talking about manifesting the truth of what is, but now he's not talking about the truth of what is concerning me alone. He starts talking about the truth of what is concerning the body of Christ. There's one body, there's one spirit, there's one Lord. We are one. And therefore, just as you strive to live humbly before God, and just as you strive to live meekly before God, so also strive to preserve the unity of the spirit that God has already created in our midst. And what that alone tells you is this, and I want us to get it. For Paul, my living a worthy walk, my manifesting the truth of who I am necessarily leads me to contribute to the worthy walk of the church of, uh, as a whole. In other words, the church is not going to manifest what it really is. The one body of Christ is not going to manifest what it really is unless I manifest who I truly am because I am part of it and it is part of me. Follow me on this. I cannot live the worthy walk unless I'm contributing to the worthy walk of the church as a whole. And the church as a whole is not going to walk the worthy walk unless I am contributing to it. In other words, my worthy walk is not just about me. It's about all of you guys. And your worthy walk isn't just about you. It's about all of us guys. My, my living the worthy walk, my manifesting who I am in Christ, necessarily causes me to interface with or intersect your worthy walk. And neither of us are going to walk the worthy walk, manifesting who we are in Christ, unless we also manifest this truth of who we are in Christ. We are one. The worthy walk is about relationships. Did you get that? You're part of the whole, and the whole's part of you. And you're not going to do what you're called to do unless you're contributing to the whole, doing what it's going to do. And it's not going to do what it's supposed to do unless it's contributing to you, doing what you're supposed to do. <sighs> it's all there. I'll come back to that in a second, but what, what you got to see is this. There is standard stuff, standard theology stuff. In, in most conservative churches, when you talk about what it is to live the worthy walk, what it is to be sanctified, those are those words, are you sanctified today? 
When you talk about that, usually what you get is something like this. Me living the worthy walk, me uh, being, being sanctified is about my personal, private, individual relationship with Jesus. And then usually comes some kind of a laundry list. There's a laundry list, you see, and, and, and uh, the laundry list is of the do's and the laundry list is of the don'ts. And if you do the do's and don't do the don'ts, then you're living a worthy walk. And these do's and don'ts lists vary a lot from person to person, church to church. But it might be something like this if it's standard evangelical kind of stuff. You know, if you don't commit adultery, and if I'm not fornicating, and if I'm not swearing, cussing up a blue streak, and if I'm not raging, and if I'm not out of control, and if I'm not greedy, and if I'm not, uh, and then you throw in all these, you know, if I don't dance, and if I don't go to movies, or don't go to dirty movies, and then the, you know, the laundry list goes on and on and on. If I do all that stuff, then I'm worthy. Then I'm, I'm living the holy life, sanctified. And it could be that I got a lot of money and all the people around me are really scraping by in the body of Christ, but I don't even notice that, but that doesn't matter. I'm living the worthy walk. It could be that I'm totally callous to the people's needs around me, that I, I invest nothing in anybody else. I live my life for me and me alone. Maybe I just kind of treat churches like supermarkets and I flow from here, there, whatever, and I never get plugged in, never make a difference in people's lives, never give them the chance to make a difference in my life, maybe walk all over them, totally disregard them, live my private little individual life, but I'm holy and I'm sanctified, praise God, hallelujah, because I do the do's and I don't do the don'ts. And what I want us to see so clearly, so, so, so vividly this morning is that, according to the Apostle Paul, that is... Tell me, Lord, a pile of, of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of stupidity and nonsense. <laughs> Had you worried there, didn't I? <laughs> it's nonsense. For Paul, for Paul, there is no such thing as individual, personal, private, little relationship, religion related to God where you can be totally worthy all on your own little island out there all by yourself. Your worthy walk necessarily leads you to be if, in fact, it is a worthy walk. If, in fact, you're manifesting who you are in Christ, the call on your life is to get plugged in, to be related, to be part of the body of Christ. For Paul, in fact, I'd go this far. The primary purpose for the individual living a worthy walk is that the church may walk the worthy walk. What is crucial for Paul, what is all important for Paul, is that the body of Christ, the bride of Jesus Christ as a whole, glorify him and manifest him and display his glory to the whole, to, to, to the world. What's crucial for Paul is that the church manifests what the church really is. And for that to happen, I've got to walk, who, I've got to walk and manifest who I really am. But it's not just for my own personal, little, private, individualistic American self that I do that. It's so that the church may be what the church is genuinely called to be. It's for the sake of the whole that we're called to live the worthy walk. Think of it like this. I got a healthy hand. My hand, I got all the, all the pinkies working. Once in a while I get that, what's it called? Uh, um, Carpal tunnel thing where I can't feel my fingers. Actually, I got it playing drums today. All of a sudden, I couldn't feel these three fingers. It's part of age or something. And, and, and why am I telling you this? I have no idea. But normally I have a, 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 a healthy hand. And my hand is very healthy that it is a healthy, my, my hand's very happy that it's a healthy hand. Hands that aren't healthy are not happy. I've got a happy hand. But the, but the purpose of my happy hand isn't for the hand. The purpose for having a healthy hand is what it can do for the whole body. It contributes to the health of the whole body. And I got 20-20 vision, and I'm glad I got 20-20 vision, and my eyes are happy that they've got 20-20 vision. Eyes that, that, that can't see feel kind of useless just filling up sockets. But my eyes can see. They've got 20-20 vision, and they're happy about that. But the purpose for them seeing isn't for them. 
The purpose is that they contribute to the health of the body of the whole. They have a role to play, a niche to fill, and that's why it's good to have healthy eyes, and so it is in the body of Christ. This, this thing isn't about you individually. The worthy walk isn't about, about you personally. So much as it is about the role that you play, the niche that you play, the part that you play in the body of, the Christ, in the body of Christ, and the way you help bring about the unity of the Spirit, the way you help manifest the unity, the love, the strength, the bonding of the Spirit of God. And if you're living the worthy walk, it's all about relationships. Even look what Paul already told us in, in this chapter. He says, be humble. It's not a laundry list thing. Be humble. That's about relationships. Be meek. That's about relationships. Be patient. That's about relationships. Bear with one another in love. That's about relationships. The whole, the the fulfillment of the individual living the worthy walk, manifesting who they are in Christ, is about them being related to the body of Christ as a whole and contributing to the body of Christ as a whole. In fact, the, the Apostle John goes even further. He says this. Just let this land on you however it's supposed to land. But he says this. Hereby we know, we are assured, that we've passed from death into life. Here's how we know. We do the laundry list. No, he doesn't say that. Here's how we know we've passed from death into life. We have a personal, sanctified life with God. No, no, that, that's not the criteria. That's important to have. But hereby we know how, that we've passed from death into life. Because we love the brethren. The evidence of it, the assurance of it, the the calling, the thing that's in you, Christ within you, salvation within you, all the goods of the Christian life, it's got to lead to one thing, and that is love for the brethren. The unity of the Spirit is not, as as sometimes is portrayed, as as, as, as the absence absence of conflict. And people think, why are you preaching on unity? Are there fights going on in this church? Huh? Are there squabbles? Are there divisions? No, 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 there's none of that. Unity is not the absence of conflict. That's what the world defines as unity. If we're just not killing each other, we've got peace. We call it peace in the Middle East. Well, even if they stop fighting, you're not going to have peace. You just have people grinding their teeth, but at least they're not picking up guns, and that's an improvement. But that's not the epitome of biblical peace, biblical unity. The unity that Paul's talking about is a unity of love. It's a one fleshness. You know, there's a lot of men and women in the world who aren't killing each other, but they're not one flesh, I hope. But, But what Paul's talking about is a unity that is a positive thing rather than just a negative thing, the absence of, of conflict. It's a oneness. It's an incredible oneness. And that's the reality that the church is supposed to manifest. And that's the reality that we contribute to when we are, in fact, concretely, not just theoretically, but concretely, living a life such that we are plugged into the body of Christ as a whole. Then Paul says this. He says, keep, or preserve, or make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit. I want to make three quick points about that if, if we get to it, but I don't want to go too long. I want you to chew, I'd rather have you chew on a little than not chew on a lot. Three points I want to make about that. The first one is this. Paul says to make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't say make every effort to achieve the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't say make every effort to accomplish or to create the unity of the Spirit. He says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit, presupposing that the unity of the Spirit is already there. We saw in the worthy walk business, when we're talking about humility and meekness and and that, that our behavior and our attitudes don't create who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ creates who we are in terms of our attitudes and our behavior. 
Our behavior and our attitudes maybe suppress the reality of who we are in Christ, but they do not create the reality of who we are in Christ. What we need to do simply is to get our old self out of the way and let the truth of who we are in Christ shine forth. Are you following me on this? To preserve the reality of who you are in Christ. So also it is with regard to the body of Christ. The unity of the Spirit is something that is already there. The unity of the Spirit is something that is already there. I was praying about this this week, and God gave me a bizarre picture, but it really seems, it, for me at least, it kind of worked. We, we, in fact, have one head. Do you know that? We have one head, we, and that is Jesus Christ. All believers are tapped into this reality that is, in fact, one. And the picture I've got is that all believers are, we are so intimately connected. We are so one in the Spirit that at a spiritual level, we are like Siamese twins. I saw the body of Christ, and we're all connected. On, on the news, I saw these two kids that had their heads connected. Maybe you saw that. And they're gonna, uh, they, they lived like four years like that, and their heads at the top were connected. You know, their head, they ran into one another, and they were afraid to separate them because they might kill one. And, and so they just let them go for four years over in Romania or someplace like that. The picture I got was that we are, in fact, this is a real thing. Whether we see it or not, the real thing is that we are. We are, in spite of all of our American individual private kind of stuff, we are one. We are, we belong together. We're connected together at a spiritual level. And the question is, not how do we create that because it's already true. The question is, how do we manifest that? Do we manifest that or not? When we at an individual level do not manifest the reality of who we are in Christ, we call it sin. When I rage instead of a meek, we call that sin. And when, I, when I'm arrogant instead of humble, we call that sin. And when, in fact, I don't forbear with one another in love, uh, I treat people callously, we call that sin. And when I do anything else in my life that, that, that denies the reality of who I am in Christ, we call that sin. When there's adultery, we call it adultery because it's living in contradiction to who we are in Christ. It lives in contradiction to our calling. And when there's fornication, we call it fornication. When there's homosexuality, we call it homosexuality. When there's thievery, we call it thievery. But what we got to see is this. It is no less of a sin, no less grievous of a contradiction as to what Christ accomplished on the cross when the church doesn't manifest real on a day-to-day level the truth of who we are in Christ. We are. We are. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, we, we are one citizenship. We, we belong to the same country. We are foreigners here on earth. Christ died to make that true. We've got to find ways to manifest that truth. And when we don't manifest that truth, it is no less sin on a corporate level than rage and cussing up a blue streak is on an individual level. We are, we are the Bible says, one family. The, it, Jesus Christ died to make us one family. We are, in a very literal sense, siblings of one another, brothers and sisters of one another, connected together in a, in a, in a stronger than a blood kind of way. Jesus Christ died to make that a reality. We have got to, on our, in our lives, not just on a Sunday morning thing, but in our life, manifest that reality. Manifest that love, the brotherly, sisterly kind of love towards one another. And when we don't, when we don't do that, when we sell out to American individualism and just go about our own little private life and are totally unconcerned with what's going on around us, it's no different than when an individual breaks into arrogance and pride and fornication. We are, we're very quick to call that sin, but at a corporal level, we don't call sin, sin. The lack of unity is just as much a denial of who we really are in Christ. And the Bible says that we are one body. We've got one head in a very real way. We're the fingers and the toes and the eyes of, of Jesus Christ, and therefore the fingers, the nose, and the, 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 nose and the tie, whatever it was, of, of each other. The eyes, the ties and the bows and the joes. 
of each other. That's a true thing. That's a real thing. Jesus Christ shed his blood to make that happen. And if Jesus Christ shed his blood to make that happen, we have got to strive to manifest that in our midst, the one-bodiness, the corporateness of the body of Christ. And when we don't do it, it is no less of a sin than adultery is or fornication is or thievery is or whatever else there may be. We just are very good at picking out the individual sins because we're Americans and we think individually. The church as a whole has got to manifest the reality of what Jesus Christ has spilled his blood to achieve. And if, in fact, as the Bible says, we are one race, we're one race. It says that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. Jesus Christ, one of the things he did on the cross of Calvary was he tore down the walls of hostility. He made out of the different races one new race of people. So all people who believe are one race. If Jesus Christ spilled his blood to achieve that one racehood, then we have got to strive, got to pray, got to preach, got to work to manifest that in our midst, to make that reality shine forth. And when we don't do that, when we in fact live life in such a way that that aspect of the cross is being denied, is being suppressed, is not being displayed to the world, it's no different than adultery or fornication or any other kind of sin we might choose. But we're really good at picking on adultery, but racism we never say a word about. But from Paul's perspective, they're both the same. If I'm going to live my worthy walk, I've got to be contributing to the body of Christ to begin to, make the mani- the, to manifest the reality of what Christ has done for us as a body, manifest that whole. I hope you're following what I'm saying here. We don't create the unity. That's not what we're about. We can't create the unity. Christ has already created the unity. It's a reality already. In fact, as I'm talking here and you're a believer, examine yourself. There's something inside of you. I don't care how Americanized you are like I am. There's something in you that is saying yes to every bit of this. It's saying yes to that. There's the reality of the salvation in Jesus Christ that is already there within you. The reality of the new self that you already are because you're a believer. That reality is saying, I need the body of Christ. That reality is saying, I love the brother. I, the, the, the brother and I, I love the church. I love the people in the church. There's a heartbeat inside of you if you'll listen to the voice and let it confront our individualistic mentalities. There's a heartbeat inside of you that says, I love the bride of Christ because Christ loves his bride and he wants to love his bride through you. He wants to incarnate his love in you towards other people around you in a demonstrable, in a demonstrable kind of way. And there is inside of you something that says, I need to be tapped in. Something's not right. I'm not fulfilled until I'm a part of fulfilling others. Until, because part of you is manifesting the unity of the body of Christ. Part of your individual calling is manifesting the unity of the body of Christ, and that requires relationship. It's already there. The question is, will we manifest it or not? Finally, the word. Paul says, keep and preserve the unity of the Spirit. And then he says, make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit. Make every effort. In the Greek, it's one word. And it literally means be diligent about, strive towards. It implies, it implies a sense of urgency for Paul. It implies a sense of urgency. This is crucial, important, important stuff. In fact, he uses language here that he didn't use about humble and merciful and, and that stuff. He, he's, when Paul starts talking about the unity of the body of Christ, he gets really into it, real passionate implies that it's urgent. Now, why is this so urgent? It's urgent for this reason. It's urgent for this reason. When the body of Christ... Well, it's like this. When I, when I don't live out consistently who I am in Christ, God, it, it doesn't become evident to the angelic host and to other people who I really am and therefore what Christ has really done for me. 
God is not glorified when we live in known sin that contradicts the reality of who we are in Christ. So also, it, this is urgent. This is crucial because God is glorified by the unity of the church. God is glorified by the love, by the one another's that we have together, by the encouragement, by the way we share with one another. We share our goods with one another. That's what glorifies God. And when the church... When the church, when the bride of Christ isn't doing that, isn't living that, isn't manifesting that, Christ has got a dismembered bride. He's not being glorified. He died for the unity, but the unity isn't being manifested. And so God is being robbed of glory. And the ultimate reason for everything in our life, folks, is to give God glory. And the church is supposed to glorify God. The whole of the church is to glorify God. And Jesus doesn't want a dismembered bride with a leg over there and a finger over there and an eye over there. Sorry, but that's just not very pleasant when you think about it. He wants a whole bride that's connected, working together, healthy, whole, manifesting what he died to make that bride. It's urgent for that reason. It's urgent for another closely related reason, and that is this. When the church settles for just lack of warfare and calls that unity, when the church settles for, a, you know, just as long as we don't have any major divisions, if we just come together and we can ignore one another and don't encourage one another and don't love one another and don't, you know, help out one another, we, we do all that, but at least we don't have conflicts. When the church settles for that, you know what? The reality of the unity of the church isn't seen by the world, and Jesus tells us that that compromises our witness. The world sees what it sees. It judges whether something is real or not by whether or not they can see it. So the question is, is our talk to the world, our message to the world, the gospel that we bring to the world, does it have reality or not? And they, they look to see if it's real or not by, by what does the church look like? Is in fact, do we see the love of Jesus Christ and the care of Jesus Christ being lived out in the lives of these people? Do we see them visiting one another in the hospital? Do we see them bringing over suppers when one of them's sick? Do we see them getting together and like and, and enjoy hanging around together and having fun together? Do we see them accepting one another even when one of them falls into deep sin? Do we see them coming around one another when they're in need? Do we see them sharing their financial resources when one of them's going through a hurting spell? If they see that, that gives reality to the message, Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ. Christ is real, but when they don't see it, our words sound very empty. So Jesus prays this prayer in John 17. Father, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. That they may be one even as we are one. That the world may know that you have sent me. It comes to this, folks. We are called, with regard, with, in relationship to each other, to manifest the kind of loving relationship that constitutes the Godhead. <laughs> that they may be one even as we are one. I pray that the love of the Father towards the Son and the Son towards the Father would be in Greg Boyd towards Josephine and in Josephine towards me. That that love, a, a desire to lift up, to encourage, to, to just be there. It's crucial. The witness of, of the church depends on it. And the final point is this. Your blessing depends on it. You know, a lot, of time, a lot of times I talk to people who, it's like this. If, I, if I'm living in contradiction to who I am in Christ, I don't cash in on the goods of who I am in Christ. To the degree that I live and think and feel and operate in ways that are not, that do not reflect who I am because of God's grace to me, I quench, I suppress the reality of who I am in Jesus Christ. And I don't enjoy it. I don't, I, I don't enter into the reality and the power of it. And it's the same way with regard to the church and the unity of the church. 
I talk to a lot of people who, who have this question sometimes. How, how come I don't feel the power of God? You know, I don't feel the presence of God. Christianity to me is just sort of a belief. You know, it's a theory. It's a philosophy. Where's the power? Where's the love? Where's the joy? Where's the goods? I hear about all this blessedness. Where are the gifts of the Spirit? How come I don't see any of that? Where is it in my life? And I really don't understand it because, you see, I've got a personal, private, individual relationship with Jesus that is really tight. I do the laundry list, Greg. Why don't I feel more passionate about Christianity? You ask a little bit further and you find out that they are just one of these millions of American Christians who just kind of float in and out of fellowship. You know, they, they, they sort of, oh, a nice thing here. Oh, no, over here there's a, oh, that meets this need. And then they, over here, ah, yes, a little bit of, I like that need. And, and then they jump in here. And they're, they're perpetual addicted roamers. And there's a time to church shop. I'm not talking about that. But that's different than treating the church like a supermarket that you shop in. They just, and they never get connected with anybody. They never invest in anybody. They never get in a position where they can see other people's love for them because no one knows them. They're just one of these floaters. And so when they ask, where's the reality of it, that's kind of like my, a finger that's been amputated saying, hey, where's the blood flow? A hand that's been cut off thrown in the corner saying, oh, how come I don't feel anything? Hmm, that's a tough one now, isn't it? The point is that according to Paul and according to the whole of Scripture, Christianity was never, ever, ever intended to be a private little philosophy that we hold to. It was never intended to be a private kind of religion. It was never intended to be this individualistic kind of thing that's very American, but it is not biblical. You will never, I wrote this down because I, 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 the Lord gave it to me and I wanted to get it real straight. You will never manifest fully who you truly are in Christ until you manifest the truth that who you are in Christ is one with the body of Christ. Let me say that again. You will never fully manifest and enjoy who you truly are in Christ until you manifest the truth that who you are in Christ is one with the entire body of Christ. You will never be fulfilled until you are about fulfilling other people. We need one another. We are in, the, in Christ one with one another, and that's got to be manifested. So if you want to begin to experience the joy of Christianity, the power of Christianity, the love of Christianity, you want to experience the love of Christianity, put yourself in a position where there's people who need you to love them. And put yourself in a position where there are people who can incarnate Christ's love for you, where it can take on flesh and blood and, with people around you. Call the church office or, 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 or let the Spirit lead you to people. Invite people over. Make connections. But get yourself in a group of people where the reality of the Christian life can, become, can begin to be made known to you. And if you want to experience the power of Jesus Christ, get yourself in a position where you need Him to come through so you can help somebody. The goods of the Christian life, the power of the, of, of the gospel, all of that there is not a grab bag for personal enjoyment. The stuff is there because we've got a vocation. And it will kick in to the degree that you need it to fulfill your vocation. Yes, I like, that's a good one. The, the, I, I know that sounds arrogant, but, but it, it, it's like it comes to me, folks. I, I, I'm watching this stuff come out. It goes, and then it comes out and goes, yeah, I like that one. Okay, so it's not about, boy, did I ever prepare this one really good. It just ha it comes out right, and I'll never be able to say it again. because I. It's like this. The reason why a commander would give people uh, machine guns and bazookas is so they'd go into battle. If you're not going to go into battle, you don't need the machine guns and bazookas. So it is in the Christian life. The only reason why a hand needs to have fingers that move is so it can help the body. If it's not going to be a part of the body, it doesn't need to feel anything, so it doesn't. 
the love of God and the power of God and the peace of God and the joy of God and the presence of God and all the goods of this Ferrari that Jesus Christ has given to us, it will become real to you to the degree that you are plugged into the niche in the ministry of the body of Christ. And you need that to happen for you to do ministry. You are a minister. I'm a minister. There's no difference between us. We're all called to ministry. And the ministry is to the body of Christ. There's people who need you to love them. There's people who maybe you've been blessed financially. If you walk with this awareness that you're a minister, this is also giving to the work of the Lord, by the way. It's not just giving to, you know, the church to to help the equipping pastors do their thing. You're a minister. If God's blessed you financially, you want want your socks to get blessed off? Do this. I'm going to talk more about this next week. Why don't you get your socks blessed off? As God blesses you, you put aside a little bit. Ask the Lord how much. Put aside some that you might call your blessing fund. And then pray, God, send me somebody. Send me somebody that I can bless with this money. Or whatever. And I guarantee you, I promise you, that when the timing is right, it may be a week, it may be a day, it may be six months, someone's gonna, God will send somebody to you, and you will be able to bless them tremendously. Maybe you'll do it anonymously. You'll just give it to them. Maybe you'll just go ahead and give it to them, whatever. They're going to be blessed, and you're going to be blessed. And, that's the tra- and, and now you're, you're playing the role in the body of Christ that you were called to play. We're part of one another, folks. This is difficult for us, and I think I'm going to talk about that next week. This is difficult because it confronts everything that we are raised to believe in America. Mine, it's mine. My stuff is mine. My house is mine. My money is mine. My time is mine. You can't have any. Mine, 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 mine. America trains people to be perpetual toddlers. <laughs> it's mine. Mm-hmm, don't you? My rights are mine. And we live life like this with clenched fists, and you know what? That is miserable, folks. That, that just squeezes out the, the, the juggler between Jesus and us. The juggler, he just squeezes it. Mine, mine, mine. And the blood can't possibly get through. So we live life going, mine, mine, mine. But we don't even notice it because it's part of our culture. And down here we're dying. Saying, where's the blood? Where's, where's the life? Where's the joy? Where's the power? The Lord would have us begin to loosen that up. You know what? Everything I have, like that song said, everything I have ultimately belongs to Jesus Christ. And if you belong to Jesus Christ, you know what? That implies that everything I have also belongs to you. Ah! All right, time to close service. I want to pray. I just want to pray that the Lord would, would drive this home. Just chew on this. I'm not going to start a commune, believe me. I, I'm not into that. Uh, and I'm not against uh, having things. I think God likes to bless us. But I'm talking about a mentality, a mindset, a, mi- a mindset for ministry being plugged into the body of Christ. I'm talking about confronting American individualism. This morning, if you have a need that you'd like to pray for, there are some people up here who just delight in praying with you. Feel free to come forward. Let's stand and close in prayer. Father God Almighty, you have made us one. You have created us one in the Spirit because of your death on the cross. And Lord God, our prayer is that the Spirit would be working in each one of our lives individually, that we could, Lord, be connected with one another, and that the reality of the fact that we are one, we are connected, we're brothers and sisters, we're part of the same body, that that reality would be manifest. Lord, give us a love for one another. We can't manufacture that, Lord. We can't create it. You've got to give it. Give us a love for one another. God, send people to, to those here this morning who have no one, who maybe feel very much alone. I pray, Lord God, that you send people their way. Make it clear to them how they can become part of the body of Christ in a real way. In your name we pray. Amen.